0: So here we go. I'm going to kick it off. What is American Food is a podcast about how our food system is designed. We're exploring the widespread assumptions and gaps in
1: knowledge that we have in the
0: United States about the food we eat year round.
1: What is American Food explores the stories we tell and don't tell about our food security and nutritional health in the U.S. and what it is that we call American food. Semler. You're listening to What is American Food, exploring the gaps and assumptions in our stories about where our food comes from and why. And I'm Allie Berlow. Today we're talking about Nogales, Arizona, and how the
0: produce sector works by talking to two produce businesses, Chamberlain Distributing
1: and Wilson Produce. For context, Mexico-grown fresh produce is estimated to be about 84% of our fresh produce in the winter months. Six billion pounds enter into our U.S. supermarket and food service supply chains through Nogales. And about 1% of that six billion that comes through Nogales is not sold. So, Community Food Bank is one of several large-scale fresh produce rescue efforts, moving close to 45 million pounds of fresh produce to food banks across the country. All produce is donated in Nogales by more than 280 business partners whose only other option would have been to send it back to Mexico or dump it in the local landfill. Some 6,000 tons, however, still end up in the landfill despite food rescue best efforts.
0: So in this first chapter of what is American food, we're focusing on bringing attention to the value of our Mexican-grown fresh produce as it relates to all of us in terms of our nutritional security. So Hannah, Tell us why this story is so
1: important. I've been asking myself this question for some time, Allie. Why, why do I care about this story and, and why do I want to tell it and why now? And I think the truth is that um, it scares me that so much of our fresh produce is being grown by a neighboring country to the south and that nobody knows how or why and that therefore we don't value it. So not valuing food is, to me, the biggest reason for food waste. And I believe that if we can get to know the stories behind our food, whatever they may be, we will come to value it more and waste less. So another reason to tell the story is that I both want to support the Mexico produce sector that has been feeding our country for over a century, and I want to know how to affect it or drive it to adopt you know, more sustainable or regenerative production practices. And consumer demand is what is going to drive those changes, but it needs to be an informed consumer demand that knows how to ask for the stories that they want their food system to be made up of. Makes so much sense.
0: And it sounds like food waste and regenerative agriculture are the foundational points. So let's start with food waste. What can you tell us about food waste in Nogales?
1: I became a Fink Family Foundation Fellow in 2018 after seven years of working at the intersection of sustainable food systems and food waste prevention. They were looking to understand more about how fresh produce in Nogales could be rescued to feed more people in the U.S. and further divert from landfill good quality and healthy produce. So I left my work, measuring and marketing surplus with farmers in Maine, and went to Tucson and Nogales for the winter. When I arrived in Nogales, one of the first videos I was shown was of literal mountains of tomatoes, as far as the eye could see, dumped in fields in Mexico due to a market disruption in the U.S. in 2018. I was blown away. The landfill in Rio Rico, just north of Nogales, was recording an average of 6,000 tons of produce a year, which we were there to try to help solve for. But I soon learned that, of course, back on the farms in Mexico, there were no solutions being put into place other than the little that the Mexican food banks could recover. Um, A lot of it just stayed in the field. So Community Food Bank in Tucson and Nogales Um, has been sourcing about 45 million pounds of fresh produce from warehouses in Nogales for over three years. And they wanted to scale this produce rescue to 60 million pounds a year based on the demand that they are getting from other food banks from around the country. But in order to do that, they need a better planning system. They need more lead time to place produce in food banks And so sourcing from those Mexican farms directly is a really important next step for the Community Food Bank's Produce Rescue Program. And being from Maine and knowing the level of food insecurity that we have and the lack of available fresh produce in the winter months in terms of what's being produced, we need more variety in our diet, in our hunger relief organizations. And so I became interested in connecting the dots. How do we get more fresh produce in Maine? What is being left in the fields in Mexico? And how we can connect these food systems to make sure that fresh produce is not being wasted and that people have access to a variety of produce year round.
0: So what's the role of the Community Food Bank in preventing that waste?
1: So Community Food Bank is one of a few different nonprofits that are contributing to produce rescue efforts, and they support the businesses, one, in avoiding landfill dumping fees, and two, in providing the produce sector with a positive story about feeding their communities. Um, A lot of of the produce stays in Nogales to support community members. And then a lot of it goes to other food banks around Arizona and the Southwest. I think Community Food Bank shared uh, about 45 million pounds with 37 food banks in 33 states last year. And so working in a collaborative model with these other Arizona food banks and with other members of the Southwest Produce Co-op, they have been able to develop a just-in-time logistics system with the hub in Nogales to get as many of these loads of fresh produce that are offered to them out to food banks that have agreed to take product um, from from Nogales in certain quantities uh, every year.
0: So you've worked there for almost two years, you said, and your focus has been on produce rescue with the community food bank you've also gotten a chance to talk a lot with the companies that you're working with in Nogales. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, Community Food Bank's Produce Rescue partners with about 280 produce businesses and donors that have different uh, size warehouses in Nogales, and there are different kinds of businesses. There are brokers, distributors, grower, shippers.
0: Let's hear a clip from James Martin telling us about the history of Wilson Produce, where he's the sustainability director in Nogales.
2: We trace our roots back um, to the 1930s. James C. Wilson, he, was, he came from California and married um, Esther. And she was from Sinaloa de Leyva. And the two of them began farming down in Sinaloa around 1936. So that was the family farm. But, but Wilson Produce, the, the distributor or sort of sales and marketing arm of the farm, got started in, in the mid-60s. And it's developed over the years. Um, Sometime in the 90s, we began working with other farms in the sales and marketing distribution of of their products as well. And that's pretty close to, to where we are today.
1: It's such a great story. And it gives you an idea of how this sort of organic evolution of Mexico produce coming into the U.S., a California business man, uh, you know, connected to a, a local woman from Sinaloa. And I mean, just that that story to me is the kind of story that I don't think we hold in our minds when we think about the, the produce that we're picking up at the supermarket. And um, you know, one of the things that strikes me most about walking into the spaces and these these businesses and these buildings that have been around for so long, you can see the train tracks that would have had trains unloading right at the doors of these facilities when, when the produce was still coming up by train. And when you walk into these warehouses, it's palpable, the history and the dignity and the pride with which... These multicultural families bring all this fresh produce from Mexico up into our food system here in the U.S. And it takes a while to to understand that this is a hundred-year-old sector that we're talking about. It's absolutely embedded into our food system in the U.S. And the many businesses that have been working have really shaped how we in the U.S. consume fruits in vegetables in the winter months. And, and they've responded professionally with technological advances and you know updates to their production methods to what we're demanding here in the U.S. And so I, I just think it's really my biggest realization in coming back to Maine and knowing how our food production dwindles in, in local product in the winter months is that not only are we eating this nutritious food... Um, our local jobs, food hubs, co-ops, distributors, retails, farm stands, restaurants are all able to be open because they have access to this fresh produce that they incorporate into their business model that becomes the reason why you walk through their doors and why you go into the co-op or why you go to a restaurant. And I, I, I question if we didn't have this source of produce Um, What would the effect on our jobs in the U.S.? What would the effect uh, on, you know, year-round businesses in Maine be, not only from a a nutritional security standpoint, but from a year-round economic activity standpoint, keeping keeping people employed and and keeping our communities thriving? Feels to me like without the diversity of products, we would have a hard time operating a year-round food economy.
0: So we also talked with another Nogales-based company, Chamberlain Distributing. Here's a clip from an interview with Jaime Chamberlain, so we can hear it in his own words, the significance of what, Hannah, you just described.
3: And I, I think it's important for anybody listening to the podcast to remember that through Nogales, Arizona, we have been importing Mexican fruits and vegetables for over a century. And we've been feeding North America for over a century. And it's extremely important that Americans and Canadians and all North Americans understand that one of the reasons we have some of the lowest food prices of any industrialized country in, in the world are because of our fantastic trade agreements. The the agreements that we have with Mexico, with Canada, with, um, with Europe. Uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I would go into the store and ask for tangerines and my mom would say, hey, they're out of season. Or strawberries and she'd say, oh, let's wait two more weeks because they're out of season. Everything was always out. Something was always out of season, right? Right now we have a generation of kids who walk into a store and any day of the week, of, of the year, they'll find kiwis if they want, mangoes if they want, asparagus if they want, Now, whether that asparagus is domestically grown or if it's imported from some other country like Guatemala or Mexico or anywhere else, to the consumer, all they want is they want that availability at a good, fair price. So I think it's important that we realize when we talk about food, our food comes from everywhere from all over the world. And everyone wants to sell to the United States. And I think that that we're extremely fortunate as a country to be in that position.
0: What that brings up for me is the idea that year round availability and how we've really lost touch with what is seasonal and what is year round. I guess before I just kind of avoided Mexico produce because it seemed unsustainable or like it was coming from too far away. And now that I have a story from you, Hannah, I feel like I value it more. So when I go into my co-op, I don't not pick it up, that makes sense. Can you paint a picture for us of what value you give a truckload of product
1: leaving Nogales? It's quite amazing when you start driving south from Tucson and you start seeing truckloads and truckloads coming north. Um, and, and now that I have been immersed in the story of fresh produce coming up from Mexico to Nogales to all across the country. What I see is first the visual of knowing that there are 20 pallets. Um, there are 40,000 pounds, you know, each pallet has around 40 cases. Um, and then I start to see the people that, that, that are moving it in the warehouse, the, the workers that are you know making sure that the temperature is right and, that um, the product is getting sold and, and the responsibility that those warehouse managers and the sales team have to the producers in Mexico that have sent their product up on consignment uh, without a secured sale. They've gone through the entire process of planting and harvesting and packaging and transporting the product 10 hours north to Nogales, uh, trusting these distributors and grower shippers and brokers that are going to sell this product to the U.S. market. Um, and I see their workers and 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 the families that have formed uh, towns around these hundred year old farms and developed uh, you know, entire communities around what has been a a, a pipeline of fresh produce for the u s market uh, for all these years. and And then, you know, I, I also then sort of turn and see, of course, the the food banks and the volunteers and, and the employees at food banks that make it possible for that fresh produce that doesn't get sold, uh, you know, for which those farmers don't get a return, but they get the satisfaction and the business owners get the satisfaction of at least having provided that produce to the local food bank and to food banks across the country. And those employees and volunteers at those food banks that are, you know, caring for that fresh produce and making it available to people and then, of course, the customers on both ends. Whether you're going to a Walmart, a Costco, or your local co-op, um, or you're going to the food pantry in the winter months, it is highly likely that any fresh produce that you are consuming was produced in Mexico. And so, I see all of us linked through this supply chain, and and what is a really you know beautiful um, uh, supply chain and 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 series of um, you know. People and and it's very human to me now that there are faces behind this food that I now can value. That because that story brings a lot of value to you know a bag of mini sweet peppers that I might pick up at the co-op here in Maine, and and that makes me want to eat every last bite of that product.
0: That's right. That's so true. Well, let's hear from James Martin again, the sustainability director at uh, Wilson Produce.
2: You know, some of the questions you have are about the the U.S. or the American food system, and I mean, I, I think it's important to describe some nuance in there. I, I can speak to a, a a piece of that system, the piece that involves fresh produce. It's it's a piece that uh, that I think should be uh, more concerned with human health and nutrition, or not. Uh, in the in the business of making bread, nor Twinkies, nor ketchup, or canned tomatoes. Um, those are those are different parts of the of the U.S. or American food system that I can't can't really speak to with firsthand experience. So I think it's important to point that out. Um, and I mean, some of the key differences there are that you know we operate on a, a relatively smaller uh, footprint than many of those types of systems, like row crops and corn, soy, that you, you might consider as part of the U.S. food system. You know, we operate in a, a system that involves um, fresh, often raw products, um, so there's there's a greater concern around um, food safety. It's part of a, a, a system that tends to depend more on uh, manual labor and less um, mechanized systems, so, so think you know tractors um, harvesting corn or something like that. That's that's a that's a different part of the food system. So I mean, those are I, I think are some important distinctions that that should be made between the the system that I that I can speak to and, and the broader uh, food system within the U.S.
0: I love how he invokes Twinkies. Um, so that was James Martin, like I said, and so in Nogales, it's not only home to an incredible source of fresh produce for this country, but it's also some great nonprofits doing produce rescue. And there's some unique sustainability efforts in that business sector, like Wilson Produce. Here's James again.
2: And we embarked on a path to move away from conventional practices that uh, weren't working for us and um, began moving toward organic, although I don't, I don't know if we were really thinking of it in, in those exact terms, yet yeah, I, I don't, I think we realized that, that our soils weren't quite ready, that there was a lot of change that needed to happen, but that, that kind of began, uh, that was kind of the trajectory at the time. And um, about, uh, it, it's taken us about eight years or so. I mean, it's a minimum three years requirement, which we've done um, organic to the USDA standard, but it's, it's taken, uh, that, that transition was incredibly difficult um, it, it took a toll on our production and developing markets, and really just transforming the business model uh, was a major challenge. But uh, we, we've come a long way, and um, I, I'm very proud to say that that this this year, this season, which we're we're just wrapping up now, um, has been the most productive season that I've ever seen.
1: Wilson Produce is just doing such incredibly advanced work and sustainability, moving away from monocropping and really looking at how to sustain their ability to grow produce and feed people for the foreseeable future in the most healthy way for, you know, planet and for their business um, and also for the end consumer. And these are the stories that I think we need to tell about how food is produced in, in Mexico and in these great uh, examples of... A business feeling that it's time to transition to a more sustainable production method to keep not only their business afloat but to respond to the needs of the time, which are to make sure that we're doing everything we can to um, mitigate climate change. And um, it's it's really interesting to think about all of the struggles and the effort that goes into all of the produce that is being produced for 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 our country here in the U.S. So. I love this next clip um, of of Jaime's. Jaime tells the story of how they got through or how they were affected by the COVID-19 disruptions, which just feels like a really timely story to document.
3: So we started off our season with some abnormally horrible weather and weather patterns in our growing area of Sinaloa uh, that we had never seen before uh, with astronomical amounts of rain in um, November and then again at the beginning of December uh, at the end of December and then again in January I'm talking about anywhere between 8 and 12 13 inches of rain in each event so that in itself was a challenge and uh, we always have weather challenges down in Sinaloa and Sonora where we get where we get the majority of our product from but this was extraordinary and not normal and not typical for the time of year that it happened. So that was already going to be a challenge. And then we go into their issues with uh, COVID-19 and how it affected the food service industry and how it even affected the retail industry. And that, I have to say, really, really threw a lot of people for for a loop in the industry. And old-timers, even like myself, that have been in the business for a long, long time. We've never, ever gone through anything like this. The first time we really started noticing an issue was about the first week of March, where we said, this is more serious than what we've been listening to on the news. So when we started to see restaurants close, and suggestions of social distancing and suggestions of um, closing down restaurants. and But I think what was most impactful for us was when we started seeing the cruise lines and the people on the cruise lines getting sick and cities not wanting to disembark those passengers. That's when we thought, all right, this is really, really serious and it could affect us in a big way because food ser- because cruise lines are actually a big part of our food service industry and that's when we started to see this is going to be much more serious than what we thought right after that it was a it was a snowball effect you started seeing restaurants close and bars close and then casinos close and then and then i think for me what something that was really impactful was the first nba player that was that was uh, found with COVID-19 and having the NBA uh, stop practices. That, 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 that was a big deal and stopped the season. Yeah. That was a really, really big deal because that's also a large part of the food service businesses, sporting events, concerts. Um, and when you started to see people right after that cancel big events like the Coachella uh, Music Festival – like South by Southwest in San, in San Antonio, that was all a big deal. And it all came one right after another. And there were successive uh, significant announcements on multiple days right after that. So when we said, when they said, you know what, we now need to close down restaurants, that's when a lot of our food service companies came back to us and said, you know what, I'm a very large purveyor of food service, 90% of my business is food service. I have no outlets for the inventory that I have. I'm going to have to cancel our contracts, contracts that we had been fulfilling since the end of September um, and fulfilling them at a great cost because of what had already happened Weather wise, during the season,
1: the majority of retailers around the country ended up helping food service companies, it sounds, for two or three weeks. And as things were shutting down, distributors in Nogales, like Chamberlain Distributing, were left out of that and they had nowhere to sell their product. So that meant a lot of produce was backed up in Nogales and also all the way back on the farms products were just lying in the fields and were actually either unharvested or harvested and then discarded. We hear from Jaime here about what it meant for farms and food banks alike to experience this COVID-19 disruption. We ended up telling our growers to pick and throw away in Mexico hundreds
3: and hundreds of thousands and millions of tons of produce was kept in Mexico. And hundreds of thousands of boxes of produce were given away to food food banks. They didn't realize what was going to continue to happen, which was unemployment right after that. And the unemployment brought the long lines at the food
1: banks. I just can't help but wonder whether these families could have instead been invited in as new customers at the doors of retailers across the country. You know, customers that wouldn't usually purchase produce if, if all of a sudden they had had lower prices, which retailers know at what price different customers buy different produce. And there could have been a, a much bigger effort to pass through more produce during a health pandemic. To customers who wouldn't normally be able to shop those produce aisles, so you know, instead, research shows that prices at grocery stores went up in April by 2.6 percent and have actually stayed quite high since then, which I can only imagine continues to hurt the many struggling families and and families that find themselves unemployed now, um, and further exacerbates the pressures on food banks, which. I believe we have a responsibility to hold our business sector accountable, not only in donations to food banks, but in creating alternative methods for people to access fresh produce using their infrastructure in times of crises.
0: Could you give us some more context as to what occurred for food banks?
1: Yeah, so the pressures on on food banks, from what I understand, was that the level of disruption was such that it it went from having you know a normal season of uh, you know donations like four, five, six, maybe ten loads a week, and all of the food banks around the country were seeing an average of about three hundred percent increase in people showing up at their doors, and so. At the same time, their volunteers and their employees were no longer able to go in to work. And so the capacity for food banks was severely uh, affected because the distribution logistics shifted from what is generally a kind of uh, a shopping experience that customers go through and, and choose their own products. And uh, sometimes they have pre, you know, Filled um, shopping carts that that customers come and pick up, but they weren't able to come inside the buildings, and so all of the distribution shifted mm-hmm. to a drive-through. And the drive-through method was meant to keep everybody as safe as possible while people needed food. And then, because product was being um, disked and tilled in and mm-hmm. um, basically discarded at the farm. The availability of product uh, just sort of went down. So going forward,
0: farmers and distributors in uh, Nogales are now planning for next year. I mean, we're 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 right there. So here's Jaime Chamberlain speaking to us back in June of 2020 about that planning.
3: Right now, you know, we don't just we're not just in, entrenched in this one year. I mean, right now, I'm doing planning for next season. We're buying seed right now with our growers we are 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 talking about whether we're going to grow x y z more acreage in this commodity or that commodity or if we're just gonna leave this commodity and never do anything again. We're talking about contracts. What other ways can we secure our contracts in our in our wording in 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 our uh, with our attorneys how can we Work with our customers better. If this happens again, you know they say we're supposed. We may have another second wave of of COVID in, in in the fall. If that happens again, that'll be very very difficult for us. And I think that we're um, we're looking at we're staring into a business that can change on a dime. It's all based on consumer demand.
0: So, Hannah, tell us what happens to consumer demand when 30 million people are unemployed.
1: Absolutely, Ali. We need to start thinking about what we're going to do differently this coming season. And um, farmers have already planted and the fresh produce is being grown. And so we need to proactively engage Nogales in a cross-border plan for, for national food security in the U.S., as well as a collaborative approach of getting fresh produce from farms out to food banks in Mexico and supporting the logistics of that, as well as getting fresh produce from those farms into our U.S. food banking system. And we need to do that with a, with a plan system that makes the, the two countries um, work together towards ensuring food security and making sure that this important fresh produce isn't going to waste. And Hymas says it really well in this next clip where he talks about how we need to focus on long-term planning. The focus here is not what happens in one season. The focus
3: is what happens out over the life of the farmer and the life of the farmer's relationship.
0: Thanks, Hannah. Uh, this has all been so enlightening. Do you have any last comments for us?
1: Well, I just love what Jaime just said, and I think we should absolutely be planning for the long-term food security uh, for both countries and connecting these food systems. And I really want to thank Fink Family Foundation for supporting this important work with Community Food Bank and Nogales, and also want to thank Jaime Chamberlain and James Martin for taking the time to speak to us.
0: This is Allie Burlow. Thanks for listening. What is American Food is a podcast about how our food system is designed, exploring the widespread assumptions and gaps in knowledge that we have in the United States about the food we eat
1: year-round. And I'm Hannah Sumler. and What is American Food is a podcast exploring the stories we tell and don't tell about our food security and nutritional health in the U.S. And what is American food to you?